we come to the good stuff of Revelation now. Revelation chapter 6. The place where now everything begins to unfold, where we get all the uh, wild images now beginning. And so we move into this chapter and we see a, a new scene really given to us, but somewhat of an extension of the scene that was given to us in chapters 4 and 5 where we have the throne room scene. We have the one seated on the throne. He is holding a scroll with seven seals on it. And the Lamb now he is proclaimed as worthy to open the scroll and to reveal the seals. And as we come into chapter 6, the Lamb has that scroll and He is now going to begin to open each of those seals. It was my original intention that we would be able to get through all of chapter 6. It turns out that's not going to happen. As we, uh, as I looked at doing this lesson, I'm going to have to break it in half. We're going to look at the first four seals tonight and then, Lord willing, next Sunday night we will finish off chapter 6 as we'll get two more seals uh, revealed to us then at that time. So, for tonight, we'll look at chapter 6 of the book of Revelation and we will read the first eight verses, if you'll follow along. Verse 1. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the living, second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth, so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be the voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. And when he opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the four living creatures say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed behind him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. That will be our text for this evening. These uh, images that are presented to us in these first four seals uh, are commonly called the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You may have heard that terminology before, and that is the description that is often given to these four horsemen. Before we examine each of the seals, it is important for us to observe that this is not the first time these four horsemen Horsemen have appeared in the scriptures. They have appeared in a couple of places, and both of those occurrences have been in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 1, we read about these four horsemen. We're not told much about them there, except that they are patrolling the earth. And that's kind of vague, and we don't really understand a lot about what that means until we come into Zechariah chapter 6. If you open your Bibles to 
Zechariah 6. It's about halfway uh, into your uh, Scriptures there, and you'll find the book of Zechariah toward the end. It's the second book before the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 6. And I want you just to see these same horses. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Zechariah. It says, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots came from between the two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black horses, the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. And I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? The angel answered and said to me, These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. And the chariot of the black horses goes toward the north country, and the white ones go after them. And the dappled ones go toward the south country. And when the strong horses came out, they were impatient to go and patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth, and they patrolled the earth. And then he cried to me, Go, those who go toward the north country have set my spirit at rest in the north country. Now that may not sound terribly helpful, but it is extremely helpful in what we're trying to observe that's going on. We'll examine here a little bit of what Zechariah has for us. The key that we need to consider is in verse 5 and what is being instructed or described about who these four horsemen are and what they are doing. In verse 4 you see that Zechariah is saying, "Uh, I don't know who these things are. I don't know what these things represent. And verse 5 is the answer. These are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of the earth. The reason why that's important is that same picture is given to us in Revelation. And back over in Revelation, we're going to get to Revelation chapter 7, and you're going to notice that there are four angels in the first verse of Revelation 1, and they are restraining the four winds of heaven. And so the picture is parallel. You have these horsemen have to go do what they're doing, but it is toward these four winds of heaven, and Revelation is doing the same thing. Here are the horsemen. But chapter 7, verse 1 of Revelation says, before they can act, there's this restraining of the horsemen, there's a sealing of the people of God. And so what we need to figure out is, well, what are these four winds of heaven? Because they play a very important role in what these four horsemen are are doing for us. And what we're going to notice, and I'm going to have these on the screen for you, we're going to quickly look at some Old Testament and New Testament passages. But I'm going to show you that the four winds of heaven uh, is used as an image of sweeping judgment. And that's what these four horsemen represent. These four horsemen in Zechariah 6, it says, what are they doing? They are going to the four winds of heaven. Well, what does that mean exactly? Well, look at many of these prophetic scriptures that show the the imagery the same way. Jeremiah 49 and verse 36 we, we read there And I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and I will scatter them to all those winds. And there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. So here is a judgment that's pronounced upon the nation of Elam. And notice it is the four winds from the four quarters of heaven. And what does it mean? Well, it's the end of the nation. It's being scattered. And that's what the winds are representing, this sweeping judgment being brought against the nation. Daniel chapter 11. 
11 and verse 4. Here is another prophecy. And as soon as He has arisen, the kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to His posterity, nor according to the authority with which He ruled. For His kingdom shall be plucked up and and go to others besides these. Notice the same picture. What is the imagery of the four winds of heaven? The kingdom being broken up and destroyed and being scattered. It is a sweeping judgment against that nation. Zechariah 2 and verse 6, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of heaven, declares the Lord. Same picture here. Flee and run. Why? Well, because the nation has been given over to the four winds of heaven. A picture of sweeping judgment against the nation. Jesus used the exact same imagery in Matthew 24 verse 31. When He said He'll send out His angels with a loud trumpet call and will gather His elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. What you have in Matthew 24 is the protection of those who are sealed as the people of God, the elect, as the sweeping judgment is about to come. And so very similar to what Revelation is going to be using as well. And then as I mentioned, Revelation 7 and verse 1 is going to use the same picture. After the first six seals are open and we read these judgments, we have this in verse 1 of chapter 7 of Revelation. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of earth holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind might blow on the earth or the sea or against any tree. A visualization that the winds are bringing judgment, but they're being restrained for a time. So what we are getting a picture of is that these four horsemen are bringing or unleashing sweeping judgment. That's just really the some total. When you see these four guys, it's not a good picture. This is a bringing of judgment. It is a ringing of disaster and due. And that's what it meant in Zechariah as was being prophesied the events that were about to happen uh, under Zechariah's prophecy. And so here also the same is that these four horsemen are coming along and they're representing this sweeping judgment that's about to take place. Now why that is important is that just as here in Revelation, so also in Zechariah, these four horsemen do not individually represent a particular person. And I think that's really important because a lot of the books you'll pick up will say, all right, well, the first horseman, he's white, so that, I've got a white horse, so that must be Christ because he's wearing the crown and all that. Or typically Antichrist because he's doing bad things even though he's wearing white, so he pretends to be Christ, but he's really not the Christ because, look, he's bringing sweeping dew. You can't do that. Just for the same reason as you can't go to Zechariah 6 that we just read with the white horse there and say, well, that's Christ running around there. Well, that's not the Christ there. Neither is it the Christ here. We need to be more broad and understand that this is just describing the sum total of God's judgments being unleashed upon the earth. The intention is not to say, now I want you to know that the white represents Christ and the red one represents, well, who would that be? Well, we don't know who red would be. It's not a who game. It is a what 
What is each horse unleashing? What is each horse bringing? That is the question at hand. It is not trying to figure out who is on the horse. It is trying to understand what is each of these horses bringing. That must be what our focus is all about. So when we look at Revelation chapter 6 and we look at verse 2, I think it becomes pretty straightforward what's being told to us. We have this rider who is on the white horse. Notice that he is wearing a crown. That should be pretty straightforward imagery. He has authority. He has power. He has rule. Well, what is His authority to do? Well, Revelation tells us in verse 2, what is He given power to do? He is given power to conquer and to continue conquering. He has authority to conquer in the past, and He's been given authority to conquer into the present. That's all that we're supposed to do right here. And there's an awful lot done with these two verses to make this. Now, this is when the Antichrist comes and he's going to do X, Y, and Z and all of that. But that's missing everything that's going on here. That's not the intention is to try to say, now here's what the Antichrist is going to do. Nor is it a representation of Christ right here. It is just simply four different colored horses. And this first one represents conquering is going to happen. There is the power to conquer, to overthrow. That's what's going to take place as the first seal is open for us. And that's what Christ has unleashed. And we have to keep that in mind in keeping the imagery. Christ is there opening the scroll. He's not in the scroll at this point. He's the one unleashing the seal. So He cannot be the first seal. He's just simply telling us, now here is what Christ is revealing. Conquering is going to happen. Christ is unleashing this power to rule and conquer. Notice the second seal. In verse 3, you have the second living creature saying, Come, and we get the second horse coming, and it is a red horse. And we're not left to guess about the red horse either. As much as uh, people try to put different images upon these horses, verse 4 tells us what it means. The rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Uh, It's authority for warfare. The first picture is conquering. The second picture is there's going to be war. And Christ now is unleashing the removal of peace and allowing for war to take place as people are going to slay one another. You see the similarity. Conquering. Warfare is going to be bad. That's what's being driven at these images of these four horsemen coming. Here comes the sweeping judgments. And so warfare is coming along as well. Notice then the third seal in verse 5. He looks and he sees a black horse and the rider has a pair of scales in his hand. Again, we're not left to try to figure out now who is the rider. That's not important. What is important is what is the rider doing? He's carrying in his hand a pair of black scales, a pair of scales in his hand. And notice what that means in verse 6. There's a voice that cries out from the midst of the four living creatures. And there are two statements that are made about what the scales are doing. The first one, a quart of wheat for a denarius. The second one, three quarts of barley for a denarius. And then it's summed up with, and do not harm the oil or the wine. And so the scales are picturing a rationing of food. You have a famine that is being depicted. Because a denarius was one day's wage. 
Now even still, that doesn't help us an awful lot until we figure out what a quart of wheat is and what three quarts of barley do. But one quart of wheat was for, for denarius was considered a, about eight to 16 times higher in price than what it would typically cost then. And so that again pictures a lack of supply. It pictures a famine that is in existence for these things to cost this much. For a quart of wheat, that was really enough for for one person to eat upon in a day. So your whole wage, one whole day's wage, would be enough wheat for only you to eat for a day. That's a problem if you have a family. That's a very big problem. And so then the three quarts of wheat tells us a little bit more. Three quarts of wheat for denarius, well, that was enough for a typical family. Barley was considered the lesser grain. Wheat was of a higher grain and was much more useful and more desirable to eat. And so for, for, the, uh, for the wheat... Enough for one person a day if you used all of your money that you made that day. If you had a family, you would have to go down to the barley, and only that would be enough for one day. And then you have tacked on that, but do not harm the oil or the wine. Here are these other necessities of life, but consider your whole day's wage just went to either if you were a single person for the wheat, if you were a family, you bought the barley, there's no more money. You're not going to buy anything else. And so this is depicting a very serious famine and a very serious rationing that's going to take place that they can't afford anything else. And so it's a very uh, uh, devastating picture, a, a, a picture that would be quite tragic and depressing to hear. Uh, your money's not going to go as far as it did. Imagine your paycheck. And all you could do with your paycheck would be just enough food for today. That would be it. Or if you thought about it for a week, you get paid once a week, that check would only pay for food for that week and you're out. Or if you get paid monthly, that would be only enough to buy food for the month and that's it. You're not buying anything else. You're not buying gasoline. You're not buying toys. You're not buying anything else. That's all you can buy. That's it. That's the picture that's being told in this third seal. There's not going to be enough for extras. There's not going to be enough even for the other necessities. You're going to have food and that's it. And you're barely going to have that at best. So the third seal is a devastating picture of famine that is coming upon them from verses 5 and 6. In verse 7, the fourth seal opens and he says, I heard the fourth living creature say, come. Verse 8, and he sees this pale horse and the rider's name is Death. That would be quite an interesting picture. This pale, dappled, pale green, kind of sickly looking horse coming in. And the rider's name is Death. And then I've always had such a strange imagery. I don't know if I'm picturing it right. But then you have this picture of Hades toddling behind. And I don't know if Hades is supposed to be on a horse or walking behind. I always kind of picture him walking behind. As Here comes Death on his horse. And then here comes Hades kind of jogging behind. And this is not a good scene. Death and Hades coming. This is this is terrible picture that's being brought to us. Is here comes the, the big problem of Death. Notice the middle of verse Verse 8, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. Four tools are given to death and Hades to bring about death. Now it's important to observe that not everybody is being killed. It is a fraction. We've already pointed out at the beginning of our study of Revelation, but we need to remember it as well. 
We take everything symbolically unless the text demands otherwise because of what we are told in verse 1 and the numbers are no exception. And so this isn't going to mean that, okay, if there were 6 billion people on the earth, we need to be able to go somewhere historically and find 2 billion people dying or 1.5 billion people dying. And so there you go. No, it's symbolic of saying a significant portion of people are going to be killed during this. It's not going to be a, a massive, okay, three quarters are gone or half are gone, but it's a sizable amount. This is going to be very serious, the kind of death that is being brought in. And so that's the important picture. Now, what is really interesting is the tools. And that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at because it's easy to pass by these four tools that are used by death. That They have authority with sword, with famine, pestilence, and wild beasts. That's used a lot in the Scriptures. These four tools. And so we need to spend time with that because that's a common way that God speaks about judgment. Notice some of these uh, passages with me. I'll have you turn to one in just a minute, but before we get to that, let me show you a few on the screen. Ezekiel 14, verse 21. Thus says the Lord God, How much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence, to cut cut off from it man and beast. Interesting, Ezekiel, he's prophesying to Jerusalem. He tells them, here's what God says. Here's what God's going to do. He's going to bring disaster. And he's going to use these same four tools that Revelation describes. Sword, famine, wild beasts, and pestilence. We go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah prophesies the exact same thing to Jerusalem again. Jeremiah 15, verse 2. And when they ask you, where shall we go? You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, those who are for pestilence to pestilence, and those who are for the sword to the sword, those who are for famine to famine, and those who are for captivity to captivity. Now, captivity is not death. That's not part of the four, but there's going to be a taking away. I will appoint over them the four kinds of destroyers, declares the Lord, the sword to kill, the dogs to tear, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the earth to devour hour and destroy and I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth because of what Manasseh the son of Hezekiah king of Judah did in Jerusalem so I want you to see same four tools are being used he says some of you are going to go captive but everybody else is going to experience these same tools of judgment that God uses against Jerusalem now what's really fascinating is that these tools are not only described by the prophets but they were promised by God that He would use them against His people all the way back in Leviticus chapter 26. And that's where I want you to turn. We'll spend the majority of our time there now. Look at Leviticus chapter 26. And it's a lengthy reading, so it's not going to be on the screen. I'll put a couple highlights on the screen, but you'll need to read along with me back in Leviticus. Leviticus 26 Verse 18. If you back up to verse 14, just notice what God is saying here. It says, If you will not listen to me and will not do all of these commandments, so this is the curses that are being pronounced. You had the blessings and the curses. Chapter 26, verse 1. Here's all the blessings. If the people of God, the people of Israel, do what they are told, they obey my commands, here's all the blessings that will come. However... If they do not obey my commands, here is what will happen to them. Let's pick it up in verse 18. 
And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And as I read this, see if you can pick up the four tools again. See if you see these same four images. Verse 19. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land will not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not, turn to me, but walk contrary to me. Then I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When you break your supply of bread, ten women will break your bread, will bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out of uh, dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, I, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will... Devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you. And your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. Did you catch the four tools within there? You have the wild beast described in verse 22 as one of the tools God would use. He says, if you will not listen to what I say, I will bring this against you in judgment for your sins. Wild beasts will come. Notice the imagery of famine in verse 20 as well as in verse 26. Both times he describes there being a lack of food that they would not be satisfied. In fact, you have a a scales image in verse 26. You should dole out your bread by weight and you will not have enough. And so you have that same imagery being used. There's not going to be enough food to be satisfied. Pestilence is described in verse 25, that they're also going to suffer that way by the hand of the Lord for their sins. And then the sword is also repeatedly mentioned, like in verse 25, as well as in verse 33. God would use a sword against them to destroy them. God promised here in Leviticus to use these tools of death against Jerusalem. And that's why we saw Jeremiah and Ezekiel using that as their frame of reference that we saw earlier. When they prophesied to the people, what are they saying? They're basically saying, remember Leviticus? Remember that God said if you disobey, these would be the four tools that will come against you? Jeremiah says, and that's what's going to happen. And then Ezekiel stands up, and that's what's going to happen. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and these would be the tools that God was going to use against them. So it should be rather fascinating when we come back to Revelation 6 to see here are those same tools used again in this fourth seal revealed to us in verse 8. That here is God saying, I'm going to use these tools against you. 
I think it is of interest that God does not describe these tools when He talks about destroying foreign nations. He talks about it when He describes Jerusalem because that was God's specific promise to the people. Here are the four things that I'm going to use against you. When you disobey, these are the, the tools that I will use. And it should, at least at the, very, at the very least, certainly doesn't prove anything, but just be an observation to us that, well, isn't it interesting that any time God spoke of these four tools of judgment, of how He would kill... He was addressing Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And so fascinating that we have these same four tools here as well. One other thing that we need to observe from our text, and then the time will be spent, is that there are some fairly strong parallels to these four seals and the descriptions that are given in Matthew 24, verses 6 through 11. Uh, if you remember Matthew 24, what you have there is the disciples telling Jesus, look at the beautiful structure of the buildings that are here. Jesus responds in verse 3, not one stone will be left upon another. That causes the disciples, I think, to raise their eyebrows and their eyes to bug out. And they say, well, uh, when will these things be? When is this going to happen? What's going to be the sign of these things? We want to know when these things are going to unfold. And then you go through the descriptions that are given there of what's about to take place, the the birth pains or the warning signs that Jesus describes, you'll notice a strong similarity in Matthew 24 and verse 7. You have a picture of kingdoms and nations attacking and conquering one another. Kingdom will rise against kingdom and nation will rise against nation. Well, that's what the first seal was picturing. That's exactly what is being revealed to us here in this first seal, is that there's going to be nation against nation going out and conquering and to conquer. You'll notice in chapter 24 and verse 6 of Matthew that there is a picture of wars, which is what the second seal revealed to us, is that peace is being taken and that Christ is unleashing warfare to be allowed as people will slay one another. Jesus also predicted the same in Matthew 24. You'll also notice in Matthew 24 and verse 7 the prediction of famines and earthquakes. Well, we've just read of famines being predicted here in the third seal as well. And then finally, you'll notice that Jesus Jesus says that some are going to be put to death, which is also what is being described in the fourth seal uh, that is revealed here as the scroll is opened by Christ. And I just want you then to also look. A number of other writers besides myself observe at least a general parallel between Matthew 24, verses 6 through 11, and these four seals. Uh, The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, The seals closely parallel the signs of the approaching end times spoken of in Jesus' Olivet Discourse. And they quote the three parallel accounts, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. Uh, Robert Thomas in the Wycliffe uh, Exegetical Commentary says the equation of the seals with Matthew 24 is correct and then further says the similarities are so close that some venture to call that discourse the main source of the seal judgments. What he's saying is some people think that actually what John is seeing is the description of Matthew 24 itself, that Matthew 24 is the source and that what's then being told to us here is those events of Matthew 24 being unveiled. I'm not sure about that, but that's why I'm giving that one to you. I, I'm, I, I'm holding to Daniel's scroll as what, what has been my uh, 
estimation, but I want to give you that. And then Smalley also says, but the content corresponds very closely to the eschatological discourse of Jesus in Luke 21. Luke 21, the parallel account of Matthew 24. So I leave that for your thought process as well. I, I don't know that I'm all the way convinced, but I want that just for you to observe that that's very interesting to see the parallels uh, that exist there. Uh, and perhaps they are talking about the same thing. When we get up to about chapter 10, chapter 11, I think the object of God's wrath will become very clear. Right now, I think we are being given some clues. I think we're getting some things that kind of open our eyes and go, oh, that might be what's in view. But up to this point, nothing has been explicitly stated, but that's about to come. But up to this point, I think we're getting a lot of, oh, I know what he might be talking about. These are symbols we've read earlier in the Scriptures, and therefore they are being applied again. So I want to leave you with with just some four thoughts for tonight. One, what the seals are doing is revealing God's judgments on the earth. That's what this is doing. This is not something that we should be frightened of or give it a term that is scary like the four horsemen of the apocalypse and who are these guys. What we should obviously see is that they're doing God's will. This is what God is calling for them to do. And that's what happened in Zechariah. And the same thing is happening here. This is not just four rebels on a cause doing whatever they want to do. God is seen in control. God in chapter 5 is on the throne. And these four are doing the bidding of God. It is time for judgment to come. Sweeping judgment is going to come upon whoever these disobedient people are. And that's what is being pictured for us as these seals are opened. As I mentioned, we don't have an explicit told to us. Uh, it leans me a particular direction because of the correlation to Matthew 24. And because these four tools of death are always used about Jerusalem and none other. But we need to still withhold our judgment yet because there is more information to be revealed to us over the next few chapters. These judgments are pictured as affecting many. And I think that is important to see. Uh, whoever the object of God's wrath is, it is not going to simply affect a small group. You have a picture of a fourth of the earth being affected here. So this is a a bigger scale than just a a small group of people. You have a picture of famines. You have a picture of war. You have a picture of nation conquering nation. And so whatever or whoever the object of God's wrath is, we need to understand that what is going on during that time is affecting all sorts of people throughout the earth. And we'll see that when we get to verse 15 of chapter 6 when we look at the sixth seal, uh, Lord willing, next week. And then the final thought I want to give to you is that I believe these seals are an overview of further details that will be given to us in the upcoming chapters. Picture it like this. You have this scroll that has the seven seals on it. As one seal is opened, you are being allowed or given a little bit to see just a a small fragment of it because the scroll is not opened yet. You're getting a little picture of what's about to happen. And another seal comes off and well, that lets you peer in a little bit more and you can see a little bit more of what's going to happen. 
And so you're getting bits and pieces as each seal comes off. And finally the seventh seal will open at the end of chapter 7. And so the scroll will be laid out. And so I believe what we'll see is in chapters 8 through 11, that will give us the full details, the fuller revealing and explanation of what we are getting a glimpse of right now. But right now we're getting an overview of, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's a, a broad picture. And then we're going to get some of the horrible details as we get to 8 through 11 and go, ooh, uh, these are devastating judgments upon people who have rebelled against God's will and that God has determined that judgment must come. Okay? I hope that was coherent. I hope that was uh, fairly straightforward. I know Revelation is challenging and difficult, but one of the exciting things that we are doing is in the Wednesday night class at 7 o'clock, you come back, you're allowed to ask all the questions you have. And we go back through the text, and I just simply, if you've been here, you know I start the class. What questions do you have? And we go through that material of what you might have had a problem with. So I encourage you to be back Wednesday night to have the opportunity to do that. And I think it will also help to realize we will be given more clarity as we go chapter by chapter. You're not supposed to end at verse 8 of chapter 6 and say, well, now I got it. Uh, No, we're only getting pieces of it. By the time we get to chapter 11, God says the mystery of His will has been revealed and we'll have an explanation of what He's talking about there. So as we're moving through, imagine yourself being the audience of, of these seven churches of Asia who wants to know more, but up to this point you don't know yet exactly what's being told, but you're getting glimpses of things that are about to unfold. So that's where we'll stop this evening.